And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined this week, the first episode of 2022, with our first ever Canadian co-host... Josh Cloak joining me from north of the border. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate you have appreciate having you on. And and we're gonna be talking a lot this month, considering what's coming here in a few weeks up in your hometown, Hamilton, Ontario. The hammer. <laughs> I, I hope you can make it. I really hope uh, you're too, gonna be man. there. Me too. I, I talk up uh Hamilton right now. I'm looking outside my window at beautiful Hamtown. Um it's gonna be cold. Yeah. Uh, but I know that you are, you know, secretly Canadian yourself, so you should Secret, be able to yep. withstand the cold. I'm a closet Canadian. That is correct. There you go. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about the USA and Canada World Cup qualifier later on and just kind of what might, may or may not be happening in terms of fan involvement and just kind of the whole scene around that game as COVID-19 rears its ugly head here all around the world. Um, there's a ton of stuff that has happened since we last recorded an episode, um, a lot of stuff that happened this week. Steve Terundolo was hired as LAFC head coach. Ricardo Pepe got sold for up to $20 million to FC Augsburg. Uh, Real Salt Lake got new owners. David Blitzer and Ryan Smith, the owner of the 76ers and Crystal Palace and all sorts of other sports teams, as well as the owner of the Utah Jazz and Ryan Smith. And I'm forgetting something. Bradley Carnell was hired as St. Louis SC's first coach. Um, they'll begin play in 2023. We'll talk all about all of that stuff in due time, but what Josh is on to talk about and what really is the biggest news, I think, that we've had in MLS in, I don't know, months, years, in terms of player signings, this might be the biggest one ever. In fact, Lorenzo Insigne, the Italian international, is going to Toronto FC. Uh, it hasn't been officially announced yet as we sit here recording on Thursday afternoon, um, but it, it's certainly been reported to death pretty much at this point that the deal is done. He'll be joining when his contract with Napoli expires in the summertime. So he'll be playing with Toronto from July on. It's a four year guaranteed deal. There is an option for the end of 2026. The deal expires in the, in the summer of 2026 and he's going to be getting paid a gross annual salary of roughly $15 million a year, according to what Paul Tenorio and I were able to, to find out uh, the other day earlier this week. That is the highest salary in MLS history by like 2x. Um, this is a massive, massive deal. Josh, of course, is up in Ontario. He, he's covered TFC closely for years. He's written a book about TFC, as a matter of fact. You should check it out if you're interested in that. It's a good one. Uh, Josh, what do you think this means for Toronto? What's when, when you saw this, when, when you first heard about it, what was the overarching kind of takeaway? And now that it's done here, what are your overall thoughts? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember first kind of hearing about this, hearing rumblings about this well over a month ago. 
Uh, and just, I, I remember kind of texting you and Paul and, and texting, you know, some people in Italy kind of thinking like, do we think there's actually anything to this? Um, it, which was met with some, you know, big eye rolls, some, some laughter by some people I, I talked to, but. I think, I think was, when you texted me about it, I was like, that doesn't sound real. Like no way yeah. Insigne would come. He's just trying to angle for a payday in Italy. That's it. Right. And, and so, but I kept, this was one that just wouldn't go away. Um, I remember thinking it was real, uh, when I had someone text me and say, look, they're people in Toronto FC are, are, are going to MLSC and saying, can, like, can we afford this? Right. Accounting got involved and it became real and that they were putting together this, this, this mega contract proposal for him. Um, and to me, that makes a lot of sense because if you're Toronto FC, you are completely, um, I, I would even say fed up with the last two years. And the way that Toronto FC, just as a club within Toronto, have fallen off the map, right? I think this was a team that at their peak in 2016 and 2017, they could legitimately challenge the Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, the, the Major League Baseball team, in terms of, you know, that that ranking within the city's kind of teams. Obviously, no one touches the Maple Leafs and then the Raptors are a little further, you know, below that. And then it gets kind of weird in the summertime because... Again, when you're Toronto FC and you're, you're selling out a lot of games in the summer, you're challenging the Blue Jays. You're being talked about a lot, you know, in sports radio. You're being covered a lot. And, you know, it kind of starts with Greg Vanny leaving after 2019. And this team, obviously COVID hits this team very hard in that they were forced to move away from, from Toronto for long stretches of the 2020-21 season. When they return in 2021, their attendance is paltry, right? They're not getting talked about. The team yeah. obviously and some has of that. Spent... Some of that was due to restrictions, correct? Sure. Yeah. yeah, they they were just literally not allowed to to play in Toronto. But when they did return, it was a very unceremonious return. And I think if you look at the people up top at Toronto FC, Bill Manning in particular, um, you know, Bill Manning is a, someone that wants really swings for the fences when it comes to Toronto FC. He always has, right? And and um, he very much embodies that Tim Laiwiki line of thinking, right, with Toronto FC. We want this team to be not just winners. We want this team to be big. We want this team to be considered, you know, one of the gold standard clubs in MLS. And they weren't that for the last two years. So what do you do to get people kind of paying attention again? You swing, you swing really, really big, and that's Lorenzo Insignia. And, it, it, you know, we've talked about this before. It makes sense for Toronto because Toronto has a massive Italian population, one of the biggest Italian populations in North America, right? And it, we saw people come out in droves when Sebastian Javinko was signed. I can tell you firsthand, you know, when the Italian national team plays in the World Cup and in the Euros, there are multiple pockets of the city that shut down. And then there are multiple pockets of the city where streets are flooded afterwards <laughs> when the Italian national team wins. You don't see that with any other team, maybe the Portuguese national team in 2016. But even then, nothing really compares to what happens in Toronto when the Italian national team wins. So you sign a player that will really, really resonate with the fan base here. 
And what you've done is you've, you've signed a player that immediately makes large, you know, percentages of the, of the fan base say, I want to be back. I want to see this. I want to even see like, is this real? Right. Because yeah. we were skeptical for so long. You want to, and, and, and a lot of the fans I talk to and kind of gauging the fan base right now, there's a lot of that right now. Like, is this real? Is Fabrizio <laughs> Romano tweeting about Toronto FC? Right? Like, is this, is this real? <laughs> um, and so that's why I think this signing, I think, you know, if, if you're Bill Manning, you, you, this is a big win because you have landed. I, look, I remember when I first kind of texted you about this and you said, dude, he's, he, he'd be the best player in MLS. What are we even talking about? That's why it seems unbelievable. But now we're here. And, um, and so it's a, it's a massive step forward for the club. Yeah. And just to backtrack a little, and for those of you who aren't so familiar, maybe with Insigne, uh, give a little bit of info on his career. This is a guy, he had 19 goals in 35 games in Serie A last year for Napoli, seven assists. Uh, I think he's got five goals and six assists for the club across all competitions so far this season. I think that's in 18 appearances. He's played for the Italian national team for years. He was one of their best attacking players at the Euros last summer, which of course they won. Um, you know, he was, he played a large role in shutting down those streets, streets and, and creating the party. I'm sure. Although maybe there wasn't such a party last summer with everything going on in the world, but that's neither here nor there. Um, he's an incredible player lines up most. He's an attacking player lines up mostly, kind of on the left-hand side. He can play underneath uh, and kind of that number 10 role, of course, as well. He can play as a forward um, as well. I, I think he'll probably end up lining up a little bit on the left for Toronto next next to Pozuelo. Maybe he plays in front of Alejandro Pozuelo, who, by the way, was the MLS MVP not so long ago. <laughs> uh, obviously, had a rough year in 2021. But those two together um, in any shape or form in the attack will be quite potent. Um, and, and once he gets here, as long as he's fit and as long as he's motivated, um, and you would hope that he would be considering what his salary is going to be, he should, he should really kind of have a ton of success, be an instant kind of when he has a full season, an MVP front runner. Um, and, and I'm quite excited to see, see what he does in this league. Josh, you were kind of talking about it. You know, Toronto is a club that's taken big swings successfully and unsuccessfully, but successfully in the past. Um, and, of course, the most successful era was 15, 16, 17, uh, with, with Javinko and a younger Josie Altidore and a younger Michael Bradley, three of the highest-paid players in the league, three of the highest-profile players in the league, and f one of the best teams in league history in 2017 when they won MLS Cups, uh, when they won the Supporter Shield and the Canadian Championship. Um, they went away from that model a little bit these last couple mm -hmm. of years. Pozuelo came in and did great right off the bat, but he's not really that, that big, big name guy like they were going after in the past. Obviously, last year was a brutal season for them in so many ways. You lose your head coach, Greg Vanny, who walks away to go join another team in MLS. That's not very big club status, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and then they, they're just dreadful all season long in the league. They hire Chris Armas. They fire him 11 games later. They have this weird situation where, you know, Javier Perez is the interim head coach and then he's not interim, but he's only there for a few months. And it's just kind of, what's the point of any of this season ends? They get Bob Bradley, the biggest name coach in the league for, for my money. And now you see they go out and they get Insigne. Um, you talked about the enthusiasm and, and it kind of dying down. Um, 
But what do you make of them returning to kind of this era of big swings? Do you think it's sort of a correction for the last couple of years? And what do you think really motivated TFC to, to kind of go back this direction? Yeah, to me, it feels like a correction. It almost, and we won't know until we see how everyone kind of performs, it almost feels like a bit of an overcorrection in a way because, and I'm not saying you're putting the cart before the horse here, but what you're doing is adding this massive designated player, you know, who has the potential to be one of the best players in league history. Well, you already have three designated players in the books, right? And you're just kind of, swinging, swinging, swinging and saying, let's figure this out later. It's again, I mentioned this, it's all very reminiscent of the Tim Laiwiki line of thinking. You know, when Tim Laiwiki adds um, Jermaine Defoe and Michael Bradley and, and Gilberto in, in, you know, the, the bloody big deal of 2014, <laughs> man, he literally, I know, he literally comes out and says, our accountants at MLSE think this is nuts, right? <laughs> but this is, but this is the kind of deal... Line. Right. But this is the kind of deal that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, he's essentially saying logic doesn't necessarily apply when we want to become great. So that's what I kind of think is happening here. I think Bill Manning is is adopting that Tim Laiwiki line of thinking and saying, you know, we need to start, we need to remind ourselves what we are or what we can be as a club. Um, and, and I've heard from multiple people that, Toronto's paltry attendance this year really, really, really bothered a lot of people because at their kind of core, even before Toronto FC were who they were now, right? In from kind of 2007 to 2014. Yeah, when they were terrible on the field. When they were terrible, they still had this really great fan base that really adopted that kind of European fan base mentality. And they, you know, along with Seattle were kind of that MLS 2.0, right? They were these teams that, that, that brought this great atmosphere, regardless of the product on the field. If you can't even have that, there was a lot of people at MLSC that were really disappointed that they'd just fallen so far off. So you kind of do this to remind everybody at the club that ego is okay. That stress, that, that swinging to be the best team in MLS. Get their swagger back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what? When you walked around the, the club and... 16 and 17, you felt that. You really did. Yeah. You felt people thinking, listen, we're a big team. We want to be treated like a big team. We have egos. We know how to manage egos. Greg Vanny, you know, knew how to manage big egos. Um, Sebastian Javinko, Josie Altador, you know, these are big, big, Michael big Bradley. personalities. Yeah. Michael Bradley, yeah. But you you bring these players in, you, you bring a player like Insigne in, because you kind of want to remind not just your fan base, not just, you know, um, other people at the club. You want to remind other players, hey, this is where you want to be. This is a destination club. Yeah. Right. Because I genuinely think when you look at Toronto FC and you talk to people that, you know, signed with the club in and around that time, kind of the Drew Moores, they wanted to come because Toronto can offer things to people in that kind of age bracket, right? Yeah. People with young families. Remember, it's a safe city. I, they would wine and dine these guys. They would take yeah, them courtside to Raptors games. For, yeah. Like MLS free agents, you know? <laughs> it's, I mean, Toronto as a city is, is New York light in a lot of ways, right? It has everything you would want, um, in terms of entertainment, but it's, it's safe. It's clean. People are notorious. The weather is 
gorgeous gorgeous for about <laughs> two months a year uh, but those are the two months you're here right uh it, it just it has so much to offer and i think all of that was kind of lost it just felt yeah. like over the last few years it, toronto fc's uh attempts to build the club were kind of a little too slow and a little too patchwork um you know bill manning promised a big rebuild and you know you start with this kind of centerpiece maybe you can parlay that into other big names as well which it looks like he might yeah um you mentioned the the dp situation and and how they have four and and they can carry three until insigne shows up which again won't be until july so so they have some time to sort this out um but they currently have alejandro pozuelo on the books josie altidore on the books and jefferson soteldo who was brought in shoot less than a year ago um on a relative on a significant transfer from brazil uh he was a massive disappointment last year um you know josh you and i have both heard that they're you know probably looking to move him on um josie altidore had huge issues last year sort of banished from the team for a while when armis was head coach then brought back in he actually got into form at a, at a certain point, but he dealt with some injury concerns as well. He's got at least one year left on his contract and he's owed several million dollars <laughs> on that deal. Um, so there's been talk that maybe they'll buy him out. Maybe they'll look to move him in some other way. If they get rid of Soteldo and Altidore, they'll have another designated player spot open right. that they might be able to use. But what do you anticipate happening so that they can become compliant? Do you think they'll get rid of both? Do you think they'll get rid of one? How do you see it playing out? Well, I should mention too, and I know we've talked about them a lot, but I think it's critical to mention here. When you talk about those designated players, um, since Bill Manning kind of takes hold uh, of, of when he comes into to Toronto FC after the 2015 season, their big core, Altador, Javinko, and Bradley, they had been locked up. Yeah. Right. They were already yeah. signed by the club. You look at the designated players that have been signed under Bill Manning proper. All of them, I would argue, except for Alejandro Pozuelo, have been misses. Pablo Piatti was a miss. Re-upping on Josie Altidore, in hindsight, was a miss. Jefferson Soteldo, a miss. These are not the players that they should have been bringing in. So Bill Manning really needed a hit here, and he got it. Uh, but in terms of what they're going to do... It wouldn't, I mean, first of all, Josie Altidore looks as good as gone. Uh, I suspect they'll buy out his deal. Um, but they have they're to agree difficult... to a buyout first, though. Have... Yeah, yes. and they're in a difficult spot right yeah. now because if you're Josie Altidore, you're saying, well, I know how much you paid or you will be paying yeah. Lorenzo Insigne. You can I, afford you know, to pay me out in full. Yeah. yeah. And so I suspect that's going to, and, and I think when Bill Manning uh, goes to MLSE's board and says, this is the money we're going to need for Insigne, but also we're going to need this this money for uh, Josie Altidore as well. That's why it's such a big kind of financial ask. The Jefferson Soteldo one is a little more tricky. I have heard that he's not particularly happy here, and I think that's been reported elsewhere as well. Um, his transition wasn't smooth. Um, are there clubs that are interested in him in South America? Y- yes, but... It gets tricky because you, yeah, you got to you know, imagine TFC would be selling back for pennies on the dollar. Exactly, and again, clubs would know this too. And I think a lot of the clubs that would be interested in buying him aren't in great financial places right now. 
So uh, is a loan deal possible? Yeah, like then you kind of punt it, right? You you loan him out for this year. Maybe he increases and, his value. He's still a young player. Yeah, yeah, and you 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 punt it and you figure it out the next year, right? Maybe you're only able to bring in your other DP if you want to make a big splash. I don't know on a one year deal with an option, as they did with Piatti, and you figure that out later. <laughs> I don't see that happening if it's a big splash guy. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I, I do know that this is, this kind of insignia is, is only one piece of the puzzle. Um, but I do think that both Soteldo and Altador will not be back with the club next year because you don't just want to bring in one player and say, this is it. You want insignia to be part of a much larger rebuild. And I think it's a difficult, I, I mean, can't I, you I, sell, can't you sell Bob Bradley as part of that too? Sure. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it, it's a difficult word for me to kind of quantify or whatever, but I think there's been a lot of concerns about the club culture at Toronto FC over the last two years. I think, you Even know, when you look- Because we've been spending a lot of time on the last two years, and I just want to clarify real quick. In 2020, they finished second in the league in the regular season, playing never in Canada, apart from like six games, spending most of their season in Hartford, Connecticut. They lost in the playoffs to Nashville. In very disappointing fashion, but it wasn't as if they, the season itself was, was terrible. It was pretty good, all things considered. No. You can disagree. You can disagree. I, I know you're a polite Canadian. Yeah. Well, I am. I try to be. Playoff success is what matters here. Sure. Right. You know, maybe if you get a supporter shield out of it and it's a trophy you can put up in the the training grounds, but yeah, no, no, they, they, they weren't satisfied to be clear, but it's not as if they were like a train wreck either. Well, I just think there were a lot of questions being asked about why was this team so good, but things just, they, they couldn't make it work over an expansion team, right? I think playoff success is, is what matters here, especially considering this is not a team like looking to build towards their first championship, right? They've had, they've won, you know, a championship. They want... Yeah, and look, that was sort of towards the end of the window for a lot of the guys. Well, look, I mean, I think we have to be thinking, when we're talking about Toronto FC, we have to be thinking about what's the one empty trophy cabinet in the training grounds. It's the CONCACAF Champions League. And like this, we're talking about a team that was miserable this season, but that's what they want. They want to win that CONCACAF Champions League. You you talk about losses that that sting, right? I was there in 2018 when they lose to Chivas. That, that, was, that, that is one that I don't think a lot of people at the club have gotten over, right? So that's their, this is when we're talking about aspirations. That's what they're going for. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Josie Altador is back and I think they find a way to either loan Soteldo out, sell him on, you know, this is probably where you want to be. So let's kind of, let's, let's, you know, look at this loan deal with an option to buy. Um, but I think they just want to do a bit of a clean slate here. So there's, there's going to be a few changes. Um, what do you make of kind of the state of, of the pieces that are coming back on the roster? We know now that Richie Larea is, is, is gone. He's going to Nottingham Forest. He's being sold there. Um, so that's, you know, one of the few bright spots from 2021 now out of the picture for TFC. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, it's interesting. There were four players that spoke at their year-end availability. Michael Bradley, Alejandro Pozuelo, Jonathan Osorio, Richie Larea. Um we can assume those, obviously, you know, um, the other three will be back, but it was kind of critical that I think the club was looking at Richie Larea as being kind of one of those key pieces for this year, 
now he's gone. So, I mean, what do you have right now? It looks like they're going to bring Io Akinola back. And I actually like the idea of Io Akinola playing kind of up top with Lorenzo Insigne. That's kind of a, a fun little be nice for, That'd be nice for Io Akinola, for sure. I, I should say so. I should say so. There's probably a reason, you know, I, you do wonder if, if in terms of contract negotiations, he's, you know, been looking around and then you kind of say, well, you get to play with Insigne, right? So, um, I, ah, Jonathan Osorio remains a key piece in the middle. Uh, Marky Delgado as well in the back. Real questions in the back. Really? <sighs> I don't know what's you, going on see, back there. You're being polite now. It's a mess. It is an absolute mess in the back, right? Omar Gonzalez is not back. Eric Zavaleta is not back. Now Richie Larea is not back. Uh, Oro, Aro didn't have a good season at all. Um, you know, Chris Mavinga I, is a piece, but I'm not convinced he can be the player he was in 2016 and 2017. The, what's, what sticks out to me, and this was kind of, this was the lead in my story when, um, when Bob Bradley was hired, you know, he, he Bob Bradley walks out and kind of introduces himself to, to everyone that, you know, in the media court, Toronto FC, and he walks out with his chest held high and you can tell he's, you know, trying to project confidence and that's great. That's who he is. And his first question was kind of about the state of the roster and he stops and he exhales audibly. He's like, <laughs> there's a lot of work to do. Right. So I, you know, you can't, you can't hide from the fact that again, besides Osorio, uh, Marky Delgado, who didn't have a great year, um, you know, Justin Morrow has retired. This is a team that uh, I think rebuild is, is putting it politely. Because I, I think what, if, if you, they bring on Insigne and they re-sign Akinola, that's still four, maybe five pieces of a starting 11, right? It's, it's not, this is not a roster as it stands that is anywhere close to championship caliber. Yeah. Might take a year. I think with Insigne on board, they'll get there eventually. And we, sh- you know, we but. should know as if we, if, if we haven't yet, he's coming mid-season. Yeah, we right. Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got to make like this team has to make sure that they're in playoff contention when he gets there. Yeah, or at least in the neighborhood. You know, we've yeah. seen how MLS teams can make runs. <laughs> Seattle yeah. Sounders, 2016, yeah. most there famously, out of the playoffs, and then a leaded arrow showed up, and they went and beat Toronto for MLS Cup. We're gonna take a quick break, real quick. We're gonna come back and talk about that salary number, that 15 million dollar salary number. And kind of what it says about the league as a whole and some of the league's roster rules. Stay with us. Allocation Disorder. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back. Allocation Disorder, Sam Stasekul, joined this week by Josh Cloak. 
athletic writer up in Toronto or Hamilton, more accurately, up in Ontario, north of north be, of the wall. North. Of be the careful wall. there. Be yeah, careful I there. Know. I don't. I don't know the. I don't know the politics. Even though I'm a closet Canadian, you know, I don't know the rivalry between between the Hammer Hamtown and and Toronto. So I th- I think people in Hamilton like to think of the city as like what Brooklyn was before Brooklyn was cool. If that okay. makes sense. So that's kind of like, but like uh, geographically, you're you're solid hour from Toronto, right? In a little under, a little I would under. say under. Yeah, okay. I can get I can get downtown on a good forty five minutes, like without any traffic. All right. Well, I mean, shoot, I live in Brooklyn, and it takes me about forty five minutes to get to Central Park in Manhattan. So there you, go. you know, um, I guess it's not that different. There we yeah. are, um, from one Brooklyn to another. Here, yeah. we, here we go. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne probably not going to be living in Hamilton. He'll probably be in downtown Toronto or, or ah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's going to have the money to live wherever the hell he wants to. Uh, as I mentioned in the first segment, going to be making $15 million uh, pre-taxes, should be noted, um, and on an annual basis from Toronto FC. That's by far the highest salary in MLS history. More than twice what Zlatan Ibrahimovic was paid by the LA Galaxy in his final year at that club in 2019. That was the previous high salary. Josh, what do you make of that number, man? What do you, what do you think it does for the market? What do you think it says about Toronto? Do you think this makes it easier on balance to get more attractive players like Insigne to MLS in the future? Do you think it makes it harder? What are your overall takeaways there? So my first takeaway is that Sometimes when it comes to salary numbers, uh, Toronto FC, a lot of clubs, I suppose, but Toronto FC can be a bit cagey. This is one that I wouldn't run away from. This is one that like, I would be trying to get out there as much as possible for a few reasons. One, you know, NBA and, and NHL teams, which is, you know, the Toronto FC's kind of competition, they publish their salary numbers. We know right off the bat how much these players make. And I think if you're Toronto SC, you want to kind of show that you are spending, you know, frankly, as much, if not more than, than the Maple Leafs, right? The highest paid player on the Maple Leafs earns a little bit under $12 million a year. They also have two other players that are earning in and around there. That neighborhood. Um, yeah. I mean, they spend to the salary cap, but and I the think the Raptors have higher paid players. I see. Yeah. I mean, the NBA is kind of astronomical, but. I think the point is, is that you, I would think you would want to publicize this is how serious we take the, the kind of rebuild of this team. This is, and, and if you're MLSC, you want to kind of show that as well. Um, is that an, is that a lot of money to be paid to one player when there's 10 other players on the field? Yeah. It, it does feel like a lot considering what we talked about earlier. There are some huge, holes to fill in this roster, right? So is is it the best move from kind of a soccer, um, you know, roster building perspective? I, I don't know, unless he can start banging in goals completely on his own, which maybe he can. I think probably. Probably. <laughs> I mean, we um, saw what Javinko did. And Insigne, yeah. has been, Insigne has been better in Italy than Javinko ever was. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder, you know... Eh, could that money have have been spent more effectively elsewhere to build a roster? No, not really. That's the well, point. Yeah, and I, I just think as well what you're trying to what you're doing here is is yes to win, but it's also to get people interested yeah. again. And so I just think the the splash that that like if you announce that number, the splash that that could make 
listen, this would be, this will be front page news, um, in Toronto. And, and I think as well, you know, if you put that number out there, it shows the rest of the city, look, we are going to spend like the Leafs are. We're going to spend like the Jays are. Um, pay attention to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just Vlad Guerrero Jr. No. Anymore, you know? Um, to answer your question though, is this the smartest way to spend the money given all of the other holes on the team? This is the only way they can do it. Right? That's the point, right? Toronto FC didn't have any open DP spots, right? So they still have to get one of those off the books like we were talking about earlier, but this is the whole way MLS is structured. And this right now is my biggest frustration with the league because, okay, you have a club like Toronto that is willing to spend $15 million a year on one player, one player. He's making more money than basically every other team in the league paid their entire roster last year. There are only six teams in the league with a $15 million or more payroll in MLS in 2021. He's making that on his own, right? So you have a team that's willing to spend this amount of money to bring in one guy. That's great. But if you really want to be a, a league of choice or one of the top leagues in the world, or if you, to your point earlier, want to win the Ch- CONCACAF Champions League and be better than Liga MX, then wouldn't it be better to take, you know, say, get a $5 million salary player right that's still a top five salary in the league and then they then take 10 million dollars and spread it across the next 10 players on the squad right and then you have a starting 11 where maybe every player is making a million or a million and a half or more and if you enter that space right you're getting into a really competitive place with every league in the world in terms of salaries and if you're doing that then what can that team be then what can mls become Right, But that's not how it's structured. Instead, you have to allocate all of your resources on your three designated players in terms of salaries anyway. right? You can pay transfer fees for young money players, but you know, it's just kind of a frustration for me because this is not maximizing the money that a team like Toronto is able to spend, at least in terms of the overall level of play. Maybe TFC does it anyway. Right? Maybe they do it like this anyway, even if there were no restrictions and no DPs and just a floor and a ceiling in terms of salaries. But, you know, I wish they had the freedom to make that choice. Do you think there's going to be a knock-on effect? Like, do you think – I'm curious what other teams – how other teams are going to react to this. Are other yeah, teams me going too. to say Toronto's out of their mind and this is a lot of ego and this is a team that is just desperate to get back on the map? Or do you think this is kind of going to raise the floor in terms of the way teams should be thinking about who they should go after in terms well, of the international market? I think it does change who you can go after a little bit. Right. right. Because, you know, this is all like chipping away, chipping away, chipping away in terms of MLS history. And of course, they've had players with far bigger names than Lorenzo Insigne before. He'll sell tickets in Toronto. Maybe he'll move some tickets in New York or Boston or Montreal. But he's probably not going to sell too many tickets league-wide when, when Toronto FC goes on the road. Um, but, you know, in terms of off-field impacts, Latan or Henri or Beckham or what have you, those guys will make bigger impacts. But yeah, Yeah, that was my question. Like, where does this rank for you in terms of you know, it's it's a the league has now had a bit of a lengthy history, but let's say the last ten years, where does this rank in terms of transfers, incoming transfers? Ah, oh, man, I don't know where exactly it ranks, but it's it's bigger than almost any I would argue in terms of where he is in his career. Yeah, right. Because this is a legitimate world class player right now, right? Like legitimately, he's one of the best players in Serie A. He's one of the best players for the Italian national team, which you know was the toast of the world this last summer, 
right? He's going to continue to be a key player for that team, presumably, up to and through at least the World Cup in Qatar next in, in November and December. Um, well, so- and, and and I should note, this is something that I think is, I don't want to say lost, but I think this is a really, we were talking about all the benefits. Here's a key benefit for me. And, and as soon as the deal really got legs, uh, this is where my mind started to go. Let's say Italy qualify, which they haven't yet for 2022. Every time Lorenzo Insigne is mentioned in a starting, uh, you know, starting a yeah. lineup, people Toronto are going to be mentioning Toronto FC on World Cup broadcasts, yeah. on World Cup broadcasts, broadcast around the globe. And you can't put a price on that. Right. If, you, exactly. if you're Toronto and, FC, and, and that you makes it easier to recruit. That. that makes it easier yeah. to recruit, right? Because other players see that and they're like, oh, it's acceptable to go to MLS at this stage in your career now. Now there's a rub, right? He's making $15 million. And like, that's no doubt what TFC had to pay to get him, right? So you, you do the deal. But that does set a market, right? For the next Lorenzo and Signe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, so, so in some ways it makes it easier. It chips away. It opens that door a little bit further to get kind of more in their prime, not towards the end, but in their prime. And he's 30. He'll be 31 relatively soon. So it's not like he's young. Um, but to get more guys like that, it opens the door mm-hmm. a little further. But you just raise the price on them too, right? So it sometimes makes it a little harder. I am curious what other what other folks around MLS think of it. You know, I haven't had really that discussion yet with like other GMs. Right. Um, you know, the discussion I have had is that, yeah, this guy's going to be killer for them. Like he's going to destroy, right? Which is like what everyone knows and thinks. Um, but I am curious from that side of things. I don't think it's going to affect the budgets of other clubs, right? I don't think all of a sudden FC Dallas is going to go, oh, well, Toronto did this, so now let's go spend $15 million on a player. Like, no, I think we know what most of these teams are. Maybe it forces one or two to get a little bit more aggressive, right? I could see it being like a motivating factor for an LA Galaxy who likes to be the big team in yeah. this league, right? Yeah. And who has an open DP spot, by the way. Uh, so, so maybe there's something along those lines. I don't think it'll have huge ripple effects in that way, but you know, it is another step in the ongoing arms race between some of these bigger teams and Toronto is going to be harder to beat now. Right. So if they're going to be harder to beat and they're going to be a contender, well, then the other contenders have to up their game too. So I think it'll have effects in that way. Yeah, I think so too. And I, again, I just think that's where Toronto FC want to be considered. They want to be considered as, as, you know, a, a premier destination. What I what I don't think will change, though, you know, Toronto has long had difficulty attracting younger players. I think they've always made it their sell to players kind of in that 27, 28, 29 range. How you old look was Javinko when he came? Like 26, right? But he had a family, right? And so they're, they're after guys with families because that's what you sell, Toronto. You sell schools. You sell safety. You sell cleanliness. Um, so see, to me, I, Toronto is a fun place, like for oh, a young sure. person, you know, we can find a lot of fun, but it doesn't have the cachet that New York or LA or Miami has. Sure. Right. I don't think it it's have... too far behind though. Maybe it is. I don't know. It, Maybe I run around in different circles than international soccer stars. That's, uh, perhaps, that's possible. Perhaps. But no, I mean, I, I do think, but this has long been a sell. Look at every designated player they brought in. They have families. Right. I mean, even the, the non-designated players that have made an impact, like Victor Vasquez, you know, was very clear about the fact that he's like his, his wife came up to take a look at the city and said, yep, this is where we want to be. This is where we want our family 
yeah. to be. This is a, a player that was coming off a, a season in Mexico where he felt kind of threatened at times. So he just wants to be a place where he can be safe and relax. So no, it doesn't, it just doesn't have the cachet. And if you're Toronto, you're fine with that. I say, we know the type of player that we want to go after. So I don't think Toronto is going to, if they're going to keep spending like this, I don't think they're going to be going after the type of players that Atlanta has, for example, players with sell on value. They're looking for players at the kind of the end. But are still in the in maybe in not the, the prime. end, but not they're not going to be sold on. Yeah, like yeah. prime, late prime sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I will harken back to the fact that like this signing, while it's super cool for Toronto FC and a great show of ambition, and very cool for MLS as well. It just I saw it, and it just immediately kind of hammered home to me once again that like these roster rules, like teams are spending more money or enough money that they should be better than they are as soccer teams. And if you're really, really serious about beating in league MX and becoming one of the top leagues in the world in terms of quality of play, you wouldn't design the league this way, but that's not the main priority. I've written this subject. I've read, screamed about it on this podcast too many times to count. So I'll stop there, but it's not the main priority. It's competitive balance. It's protecting all of the owners. It's all of those different things. So, you know, that's, that's the route they've chosen. I wish they would reconsider. It doesn't seem like they're really going to, but there you have it. Anything else you want to add on, on Insignia in Toronto before we before we move and take a quick break and move into the international side with Canada and, and uh, the U.S. I'm really I'm really curious who they surround him with. Like yeah. I still think Pozuelo. I mean, Pozuelo had a down season. He admitted there was a lot of personal problems. Um, do I think he's the perfect kind of number ten to be playing behind him? He he's looked great in MLS, but like. I don't know. There's, there's definite, there's, there's, there's tears, right? And I don't know if he's, he's right there just yet. I think you have to surround him with, with other players. Um, I think Javinko was kind of at his best and, and Toronto FC admitted, you know, after they lost in 2016, they were very upfront about the fact that they needed a creative midfielder. And that was the missing piece in Victor Vasquez, right? I do think you're going to, don't you think Pozuelo could be that though? He could, but then I still think he's been that before. Yeah, you're going to need other players ar- yeah. around him. A, a right? consistent striker if Josie's gone, if Akinola, who knows how he's coming off that injury. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think they're they're done. Um, so I'm curious what kind of, you know, wing players they bring in. Um, you know, I'm curious how Bob Bradley kind of sets up his team tactically to, to best kind of take advantage of him. Uh, because, no, I don't think this team is is done. And, and that's the key thing to me is, right, who are you going to put? Because, again... Javinko was at his best because he had Josie Altidore, a much bigger forward to play off of. Right? It's it's building this this puzzle and I I don't they're they're certainly far from there for now. Yeah, I have a lot of faith in Bob Bradley to kind of figure it out. And there will be more moves on the way. Josh, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Where does Toronto FC finish in the East in twenty twenty two? We don't have all of the information, obviously. But guess what? You're you're on the spot. You gotta. Go. I'm envisioning. I'm I'm envisioning fourth or fifth. Okay. Fourth, I, fourth, fifth. I I, I no higher than that though. I so, look, so, I don't. Sort of similar to Jovinko's first year in 2015. Yeah, I don't. I I think the playoffs. I think you you get in because I I have faith that they will bring in other players. You know, probably for the start of the season. But I where I worry is is where they're going to be in July. You know when Insigne comes in. Off uh, also after having played a full season. Yeah, 
Right. But he'll he'll be motivated to keep going ahead of the World Cup, assuming Italy can make it in out of assuming. the playoffs. Yeah. Um that that'll be easier said than done. Um one one last break on this show. We're gonna come back. Josh is gonna set the scene for what it's like in Hamilton, what we're expecting from the Canadian national team's home game, hopefully in front of fans, if everything's cool, uh later on in January. Stay with us. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam Stasekul. He is Josh Cloak. Josh, I'm theoretically coming to your neck of the woods. I think there's a party at your house before the game um, for later this month, <laughs> assuming <laughs> I'm allowed into the country, which we don't know yet if I will be. Um, but the U.S. men's national team is set to play Canada in a World Cup qualifier on January 30th. The U.S. starts the window on the 27th. Uh, against El Salvador in Columbus and finishes it on February 2nd against Honduras in St. Paul. I believe same opponents for Canada, 
right? Yeah. Just different order. Um, yeah. And Canada's games are, are both away against the Central American countries. Um, so, you know, Canada obviously is off to a good start in World Cup qualifying. 1-1 draw with the U.S. in Nashville way back in September. The start of the of the Ocho. Um, Josh, kind of what's the mood with Canada right now? There was some news today about COVID-related yes. news for Canada. Yeah, so they've canceled. They had a, a training camp in Florida uh, where they were going to have a, a friendly against Guatemala. Uh, that's been canceled. So what we can now assume is is players will probably meet, you know, not long before the first match in, in Honduras um, for probably just a few brief training sessions. That will probably mean a lot more kind of video training sessions, not training sessions, a lot of video meets with, with John Herdman and the players, you know, throughout this month. Um, you know, if, if, if you're John Herdman, you're frustrated at that, obviously, but this is a team that, you know, they're kind of starting 11. The core of this team is not up for debate anymore. We have a very good idea of what this team is. This is a team that won't be any less motivated. I think we saw that, you know, in Edmonton when they win both games, including against Mexico. Yeah. Um, to me, I think that was the turning point where it's like this team, you know, no longer has just enough talent or, you know, is stands a good chance. They have to qualify for the World Cup. They are that good. They're in that place right now. They're motivated enough. Um, so the news is disappointing for the organization and, and for fans, but I don't know exactly how much it throws – them off because I don't know, you know, how many tactical changes they were going to make leading right. into this kind of and of this, course a lot games. of a lot of their guys are are coming over from Europe anyhow, and so they wouldn't have been participating in this camp regardless, even if it had gone forward. So yeah, exactly. Um, but look, in terms of the the kind of scene, this team was. Let's think about Canadian, you know, newsmakers of of twenty twenty one. They were right up there with the women's national team, gold medalists, you know, in terms of Canadian kind of teams of the year. This was a year where I would say the general population got wind of the fact that, oh, wait, the men's national team are good. And this men's national team are, you know, could do something that I mean, Drake got on board. (laughs) That's the seal of approval. Uh I was really happy um, for anybody that, that hasn't read. I, I wrote uh, in the last window about the kind of inside details of that Drake meet. Um, if, if anybody hasn't checked that out, um, some people got the exclusive invite. Some players did not. Um, <laughs> Fonzie, Al- Alfonso Davies was kind of, I think there was some concern on his part that he missed the, the invite from Drake. Uh, so there's some details there that fans might want to check out, but People are are believing in this team in a way that they haven't in years, and for very good reason. Um, so I always I was teasing you sort of at the start of qualifying, where I was like, Canada's gonna make it, no problem. Yeah, but they're one of the top three teams. They should be in without a doubt. And you're like, slow down, Sam. You've years of scar tissue that have yeah. built up following this team. And I'm not the only it, one. It's, it sounds like that's sort of turned though over the first eight games. It was hard. I, I, when I left, uh, Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, I left with a few other reporters, um, that night and we were kind of saying in the Uber home, we were like, this is it now, isn't it? Like, this is real now, isn't it? You know, the game against Panama at home, uh, when Davies scores, you know, that, that kind of goal that went viral, that's the goal that makes you think 
or that that win makes you think, okay, now they have a chance to qualify. But it's beating Mexico convincingly. Being in not, first, past the halfway point. First, that's the one where I think a lot of people said, now they can do it. They're, this isn't a team that we think is gonna just kind of going to sneak in a third place. They've built a cushion now. A right? slight cushion. Panama's in fourth, only two points behind. So it is jumbled at the top. But there is the good news that the fourth place team will be playing in the playoff well, against the Oceania teams. So. Well, let me ask you. It's 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 better if I ask you, what is the perception of the Canadian national team in your neck of the woods? Like, are, are is this team to be feared now? Or is it still like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, it should be feared if it's not. I mean, this is a team that really frustrated the U.S. in Nashville. It wasn't exactly a proactive game plan that John Herdman rolled out in Tennessee, but it was a stifling one. The U.S. didn't really create, and Canada could have easily and maybe should have won that game yeah. if they if they take their chances. Um, and we saw what happened. You know, Josh, you and I were sitting together in the press box at BMO. When was that? Almost two and a half years ago now in Nations League? Yeah. Yeah, 2019. And, and that was a U.S. team that, that got bossed around by Canada in that match. That game was not close. And, and, and I think it was 2-0, maybe it was 2-1. I can't remember if the U.S. scored or not. 2-0. Um, and, and, and that was the last time they played in Canada, you know? And Canada has only gotten significantly better since then, right? We saw what they did to Mexico in Edmonton. We saw what they did to Mexico in the Gold Cup in a game that they narrowly lost um but you know you have guys like tejan buchanan and alfonso davies and jonathan david and steven eustachio and richie larea um and so on and so forth they have good players all over the field now you and know what you know what all those players have in common Kyle and, and, and you know what all those players have in common that makes this team it makes it so much more believable that they could qualify those are all players on an upward trajectory yeah, they're in their all career. young who all know that if they qualify for the World Cup, their personal stock goes through the roof. And I'm not saying that's the sole no. motivating factor, but what I am saying is if you're Stacchio, you know that if you go to a World Cup and you play the way you have been through qualifiers, you can have your pick of the litter of clubs afterwards. Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're Kyle Lahren, who I don't think is, is completely happy in Turkey, you can go places afterwards. Right, it's Jonathan David as well. If he doesn't move in this window, yeah. which it looks like he Laren too, by the way. Yeah, um, you can go. You can go elsewhere, uh, and that's that's what's really exciting here. So I think the perception is is a team on the rise, a talented team with some dangerous, dangerous, dangerous players. Of course, everyone respects the hell out of Davies, right? And why why wouldn't you? But I still think that there is an element for sure that is like the U.S. should beat Canada, mm-hmm. um, certainly at home, you know. And, and that didn't happen in Nashville, and the reaction after the game was not exactly positive from the American fan base, and understandably so, because you know the U.S. probably should be Canada at home, right? And, and maybe, but when when you go up to Canada in January, and you know, knock on wood, if there are fans there, um, you know, I expect that. I, I don't know. I'll ask you about that. But if there are fans there, mm-hmm. the place will be insane. I imagine. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that will be really tough. So, yeah, at this point, I think the teams are relatively evenly matched. The U.S. certainly has more depth than Canada does. But 11 versus 11, I don't think it's a huge, huge difference. So give give us the scene in terms of COVID restrictions and what you think is going to happen with this match here in three weeks. 
Yeah. So right now, all professional teams in, in Ontario, uh, which I guess we're just talking about, um, the NHL teams and the Toronto Raptors, um, are not allowed to have fans. I think the cap is a thousand. So you're basically looking at, um, you know, parents and it, basically that's where it's at and, and, and guests. Um, it's, it sucks, right? It's, it, it really sucks. I, I've been to, you know, multiple NHL games without fans and, it's not the same and it stands to be even, I almost think it stands to be even worse, um, you know, at the outdoor at, at, at Tim Hortons field, which is outdoors. Um, because doesn't get it's, more Canadian than that. By uh, the way. I know <laughs> you're going to you know what Tim Hortons field is beautiful to one side of the stadium. You'll see what Hamilton is known for, which is, you know, steel, dozens, right? dozens of steel mills and the smoke billowing out of them. And the other side is our beautiful escarpment, which is this kind of raised uh, natural forest. Escarpment. The that escarpment. is not. That is not a word we use in the United States. Well, it's one that's it's <laughs> one that you'll have to learn here when you spend time in Hamtown. Um, but no, like it, it, it will not be the same. I don't know where outdoor um, fields kind of Could fall into this. I suspect that it will not be full, right? And and what is the capacity? 25-ish, right? Uh, it's even less. I Yeah, 20, 25, somewhere in and around there. Um, it's a little, I believe it's a little bit bigger than, than BMO Field. Where it gets difficult, and I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but it's important to know, um, you know, our, our, our premier in Ontario is really not a, a well-liked person right now. He's taking a lot of heat for closing the schools once again. Um, you know, he's going to be under pressure their government's going to be under pressure to make a decision that it will, they'll have to justify, right? It's going to be difficult to say, well, you can bring in, you know, maybe five, 10, 15,000, maybe 20,000 people into the stadium, but schools are still closed. That's yeah. where it gets really, really tricky. Um, and, and, you know, I'm saying this as a parent, it's, it's not an easy one to make. I suspect you and I will be there. I don't know how many people will – if I had to bet right now, I think it's an empty stadium, yeah, which is well, a bummer. That is a bummer. Uh, you know, it'll be safer that way, of course, which is which is nice and that's good. Um, but, man, this was one – I was looking – it was towards the top of, of the list in terms of qualifiers that I was looking forward to this one. I, I, st- I still think you'll be here. I, I, I think well, you'll be yeah, allowed but in. if there's no fans, then, you know, it's not it's not as uh, fun of an occasion. I'll put it like that. Um, but yes, hopefully I will still be there. Fingers crossed. The plan is for both me and Paul Tenorio to be there along with Josh. So we'll have plenty of coverage from that match. Regardless, um, knock on wood, everything stays the same. Um, but yeah, it should be a fun one. And Canada is going to make the World Cup. So is the U.S. So don't worry too much about it. Um, anyway, Josh, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. I had fun. I hope you did too. Um, I did. I, I hope you all had fun listening to us. Uh, a Canadian and a closet Canadian here. Um, Do you, are you gonna are you gonna share? Are you gonna share a little bit about those this this closet Canadianness? Yeah, I think it's not a secret or anything. You know, my dad was born in Ontario. He lived there until he was four or five. So, so you there you, you go. Could, you, there you, you go, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're kind of you've been out and about over here. That's right, and you, out in a boot. <laughs> and you could get your passport. You probably you you probably want the passport. I can get a passport. Uh, my brother and I talk about that. We've been talking about it for a decade. We are lazy and we've never done it. Anyway, um, maybe one day. Not today though. 
thank you for listening to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam. He is Josh. Until next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.